following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment. We will be discussing the link between marijuana usage and mental health risks. Today, on Drinks and Shrinks. Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. I'm John Deku. And my name is Ingo Weigold. And we have an interesting article as the country continues to change towards allowing marijuana. And we also have an interesting question. But first things first, how are things going? Mm, you know, <laughs> things are okay. It's it's been it's. I'll say that for some this year in particular, the summer is moving fast. In from where the experience I'm having of summer is that it's rapidly accelerating. It's already middle of June, and I'm like, where did the time go? So, um, but we have some vacations planned, and the kids are all in different sports and stuff. So it's like, it's not been boring, but man, there's been a couple of days in the last month where I'm just like. You know, I I have I'm death like just sitting there like can't move you know and I'm, that's not usual for me. But you can't move. Yeah, you just like you know you you feel like you're going through quicksand with the things that you have to do and you just have to like sit down and do nothing. So Diablo Four came out. I don't know if you're a video gamer, but I was a huge Diablo fan growing up. Um, I wouldn't say growing up. I guess the original one came out when I was in my late teens. So I've been playing that. And it's fun because I stopped playing video games. Um, I guess it's kind of like my guilty leisure in a sense too. I stopped playing video games because they were like too stressful. And this with this one, I'm not thinking about the best build or the, I'm not going online and on Reddit trying to figure out what's the strongest character. I'm just like, I'm just playing and I'm enjoying and I'm going to do it the way I think is right. And if it's not working, I'm going to adjust it and I'm not going to worry because I'm not on, in some kind of race to come, get to a level 100 like the rest of the people. So, was that something you used to do? Oh, yeah. Like I played like Warcraft and all that stuff. And it was all about like best build or even Call of Duty. Like, yeah. what's the best weapons? Like, how do, yeah. you, how do you make the build? So, it's, so forget all that. So, no, I'm, I'm right off there. that train. I like to play games too. And uh, it can be stressful though, especially if yeah. there's a sense of competition with others around yeah. the world because like you're never going to keep up with like some dude in a basement in sweden who just nope. plays like 36 hours in a row you know right. it's impossible to keep up but it can still be fun if you let yeah. go of that too it's mind-numbingly fun with based on what we do like just go and blow shit up for, for like oh a, my an gosh. hour you know there's so many times i come home and i'm like my brain is melting out of my ears i don't want anybody to talk to me mm -hmm. and i could see my wife is like <gasps> like grinning her teeth like i could tell she wants to say something but she's like okay i know if i say something he's just gonna be snappy back so i should wait until he plays a game or goes for a walk or has something to eat or something yeah. like that to kind of recharge exactly listening so. for hours and hours in a row can be taxing um but no i've heard about diablo and that's super cool i think fan yeah my friends are playing it um for me, I think it's, I've been, I had a lot of fun. This is always kind of a bummer part of the year because I have so much fun watching the NBA playoffs 
Mm-hmm. And it becomes like this thing where I go home and then there'll be like four hours, five hours of basketball in a row. And then it becomes like then two hours. And then now it's one game every other, then it was one game every other day. And then during the finals, it's like once every two or three days. Um, so it's, it's fun to watch, but it gets kind of sad. If there's something about like, for me, when it's playoff basketball, it's May, the weather's getting nicer. You can go outside, mm-hmm. you can go to, a restaurant or a bar and watch the game while outside but still <clears throat> it that just means that there's a lull for the rest of summer but i get to focus on other things like yeah you know the other tasks i want to complete so basketball will come back around in like two months right and i'll three months. be disappointed once again. <laughs> the perennial yes some things are consistent. our poor chicago bulls yeah um why don't we get started with sure. this article do you want to share your first thoughts here what yeah. the article was? Well, okay, so the article was posted by NBC News titled Marijuana Linked to Mental Health Risks in Young Adults, Growing Evidence Shows. Um, and I, I guess I'll give you the overview real fast, and then you, we can kind of dissect it a little further. But basically, the, artic- the article has a bunch of research that's been coming out that shows that um, marijuana use, especially before the age of 26, um, has a higher, uh, I guess instance of potential for psychotic breaks or mental health just schizophrenia things like that um and and from my reading it just the overview of it is a lot of it has to do with the fact that our our brains are not fully formed yet and teenagers in particular who tend to be more impulsive have a higher tendency to be chronic users of things you know whatever those things might be and they feel invincible it's not going to happen to me right so and then i think the one thing that i forget um, sometimes that I have to remind clients of is that marijuana is a depressant, but it's also, you know, has, um, hallucinogenic properties at higher doses. And given like how high, um, these doses are nowadays with these dispensaries, like the, the percentage of THC in some of these things you can buy it, like in these dispensaries is like 20 hundreds of times higher than mm-hmm. like when i was a kid like the the weed that was around was not that potent but this is like super and now it's edible forms and things i mean you could really overdo it really easily so what is your like what are your thoughts on this on this article and, and or the research i suppose so this is something i've been interested in for a little bit is the effect of uh cannabis on mental health because i think currently a lot of people like it seems to be in a way from like let's say the 60s or 70s to let's say the 2000 2010 it was considered we should legalize this thing this is ridiculous it is it it doesn't hurt people nobody's going to overdose from it and then it seems like over the last 10 or 20 years people have started taking it as like it's a way to help me with my anxiety it's a way Mm -hmm. to help me with my ptsd what I think is interesting and like what this article talks about is that it actually, um, and there's a book that was, uh, I guess it'd be edited or published by the American Psychiatric Association mm-hmm. called Marijuana and Mental Health. I read a year or two ago. And what they find is that as far as I understand, people don't actually get better when they take it for anxiety or depression or PTSD mm-hmm. or trauma. They actually, they, oftentimes they get worse and or like you're saying they're more likely to develop something uh, with psychosis psychosis being um essentially a a disorder that 
has some kind of hallucination or delusion in it. In it. Mm -hmm. So that would be things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, schizotypal or schizotypal um, my personality is which uh, is not that common. No, no, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> what was that? Um, what's the other schizo disorder? Now I'm forgetting. Schizoaffective. Schizoaffective. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just more likely to induce one of those things, and I, mm -hmm. it seems like we have there's a really big misunderstanding of this in the community. Yeah, and I, I you know, I wonder if. It, in particular, because of the nature of like um, the drug, and I, I, from what I've read, I've dug a little further into some of this research. A lot of what happens to people when they overdose on this stuff—not you don't overdose in the sense that like with other heart drugs for like opiates, for where you might die, right? But you might overdose to the point where you have like a psychotic break, mm -hmm. and when you when you have one of those at any stage of your life, I think it's more likely you'll have more, and you also are more likely to develop other mental health disorders um, because of that break. It's like you like short-circuited your brain, in a mm -hmm. sense, from overdoing it. And it's not just marijuana. I think it can happen with like mushrooms, LSD, what any sort of hallucinogenic that's mm -hmm. done to excess. The psychoactive, yeah. Yeah. That, so, but in particular, I think the, the, the alarming thing here is that with the legalization of marijuana and, and over half, um, is it, are we over half or close to half the states? It's right around there. Yeah, so... Like it's more readily available um, to the general public. It's more widely acceptable now to like, I mean, like we live in this area, St. Charles, Geneva. I've seen people like smoking weed in the street. Like mm -hmm. it's no big deal. And I don't even know if that's legal to do anymore, but I think people feel more like, hey, it's just, it's just pot, like whatever, you know, it's mm -hmm. legal now. So like, I wonder how much that contributes to teens increased use of this stuff. But more so, I think, again, it's like the potency. So, like, you can buy, like, these chocolate bars that have, like, a 1,000 milligrams of THC. Like, that is an exorbitant amount of, like, and people are eating all of the, the whole thing. As if they, or the teens I've worked with or young 20-some who are using these, like, uh, waxes, which are highly concentrated forms of THC, like, boiled down to, like, this super, super potent thing. And they're getting s super high off of it and... You know, having these like hallucinogenic type experiences or um, anxiety. You know, sometimes depending on the strain, it can cause like a panic attack. Mm -hmm. So you ha I'm sure you've heard stories of people oh, yeah. calling 911, like "I'm dying." Yeah, <laughs> they ate a brownie that was too strong. You know, right. they go to the hospital and they're like, "Yeah, you just need to wait a little while and it'll get better." You know. So. Yeah, and there seems to be like um, an increase in like short-term psychosis. Like, you know, overnight or over the next 24 hours, you start hallucinating or experiencing things. Mm -hmm. That seems to be going up. And it seems to be correlated with legality. Um, there's another article I found that w showed that um, in Denmark, the diagnosis of schizophrenia had increased um, as a correlation to the um, cannabis use disorder increasing mm -hmm. in the nation and rising THC levels. So I'm yeah. sure there's many other confounding variables, but I think they had tried to limit those and they found that as cannabis use disorder and THC levels increased, uh, diagnoses of schizophrenia increased. So there's seems to be short-term risks and also long-term risks of mm -hmm. um, developing something that's really something like you don't wanna have to deal with for the rest of your life. And I think right. hopefully, if anybody hears this, they would think like, ah, oh, damn, I really don't want that to happen to me, you know? But we wouldn't think something like this could have that kind of effect, too. Well, uh, um, the article talks about, like, the connections in our brain 
and how we distinguish like what's what's reality and what's perceived reality and, and cannabis in particular apparently interferes with that especially in adolescent age because your st- your brain is still forming and your your sense of the world and how you perceive the world is ch- still changing um so um and uh, from everything i know about like schizophrenia a lot of it it's like early 20s late teens is kind of where you start where you start seeing it like most often activate yeah. in a right. sense or become i don't know if it's dormant before and then it, or if it's just when people have these experiences so i i i don't know i don't know enough about it but i imagine like as the brain is still maturing into the late uh, mid to late 20s something happens where I, I consider it like a it's like a tape you know like you're going over a rough spot in that tape and then at some point it just breaks and then now you have like timely reference yeah that's kind of how i <laughs> why do you say that just because i don't think a lot of younger people know how, t- how tapes work but uh, i i understand like a reference. real-to-real tape you know yeah. i don't know how i'm trying to like how how would i because it doesn't with digital media it's like you, you can listen to it a zillion times and yeah. it never changes but from from my age group when you used to have cassette tapes or in the recording process when mm-hmm. they were using reel to reel, you can only record over something or play something so many times. And then, especially if the tape gets stuck, now you have a spot in the song that's rough, and then eventually the tape rips. That's how I view it in, in my head. Yeah, and it seems to be like like alcoholism or a lot of other things, or even like PTSD, where it isn't as though if you have the genetic part um, that's inherited to you that you're going to get it. It just drastically increases the risk of you getting it. And one of the things I had learned about um, from this the APA's book, uh, Marijuana and Mental Health, is mm-hmm. that there seems to be a lot of people who say, oh, I'm not going to have any psychotic um, break with marijuana because I don't have that gene in my family. I, there's nobody in my family history that has had any kind of like schizophrenia or anything. But the problem is that it's so stigmatized that weird uncle joe you know he might have been a little kooky but he didn't tell anybody that he was seeing things or hearing things. yeah right right? because you know maybe back in the 50s or 60s or 70s it was considered like a huge stigma to ever share anything like Mm -hmm. that and even now i think people in general are a lot more open about things like anxiety and depression but they're not going to say hey you know we should be cooler with like hallucinations Mm -hmm. you know there seems to be like our our community has accepted um, TV shows and people and celebrities to come out with some things, but not with other things. And, you know, like I said, there could be people in your family who just kept really, really good secrets. And so now we don't know who has these genes or not. If they had any kind of mental health struggle, could that increase the risk of you developing some kind of psychotic disorder? Mm -hmm. And it's a gamble. I think not enough people are taking. And again, the, I think the worst thing of it is, people are seeing cannabis as a healthy thing. It's a way to help cope with anxiety or mm-hmm. depression. That's like a healthy alternative to alcohol. Um, and it certainly doesn't have the same negative effects as alcohol, but I wouldn't say it is like a... Well, again, it, 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 with most things, it, it depends, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, I think there's a lot of benefits to the drug that I've seen, just like with like, um other hallucinates like mushrooms psilocybin there's you know there's a lot of benefits in certain applications but i think the type of people that were are experiencing this kind of thing and the thing that we're probably talking about most is the chronic heavy users and a lot of times teens as you know when they drink they drink to excess when they 
get high. They get high, you know, to the max. So it's like that type of behavior, I think, can is more likely to trigger like, mm-hmm. this type of episode. Definitely. And yeah. one of the, I think in this article, they share how if you're under 26, mm-hmm. especially t- one of the things I had heard is if you're a teenager, the earlier you start, the higher the risk is, is of developing some kind of yeah. um, psychotic disorder. Um, how, o- like you said, how often you use, mm-hmm. definitely, like you said earlier, the um, content of THC yep. as well. And I think, like, I'm going to guess you probably know a couple people, whether they're clients, friends, or otherwise, who pretty much smoke every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I think it's becoming more and more of a normal thing. Now, I'm not trying to be square and say, like, weed is bad or anything, mm-hmm. but it definitely. Drugs is, are bad, okay? <laughs> it definitely is bad to do anything daily. Like, if I told you I was, like, gambling every day, I would hope that you're a little concerned for me. I mean, if you got the money. <laughs> <laughs> or if I was, like, watching well, porn all day every day, you know? I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not one to judge, John. You, you do you, I don't know. brother. He's watching cons- porn and gambling at the same time. It gets concerning, you know, yeah. to me. Like, if anybody's doing something every day that's, you know, right. even, like, if you're running every single day, you know, I'd say, like, yeah. that starts to get a little, like, every day? Can you miss a day? Well, no, I don't want to do that, right? We'd have to, so you have to have some flexibility in life, too. Mm-hmm. Of course, running is a very different thing, though. Yeah, I have a lot of clients who are um, middle-aged to older age who definitely use cannabis uh, medicinally and with success, you know, and um, they're taking very low doses of it to, like, help them with chronic pain or sleep issues or depression, and it's working in a lot of... uh, I've seen it work really well in certain situations as an alternative to, like, taking, like, pharmaceuticals, right? And Really? Yeah, yeah. See, I haven't seen that. Absolutely. That's actually, that's actually to, to me, the opposite that I've seen in the research, too. Really? So, I mean, maybe it's anecdotal. There's Everybody's different. Yeah. You know, some people, you know, I'm, they seem to be doing better, you know? So it's, it's um, but I think, I think the problem is, is that it's, it's been somewhat, um, like, even my teenage years, like, marijuana was considered really bad. Like, it's, it, it was in the same category as, like, heroin. And, you know, it's like, in, and, a generation prior it was like you couldn't you're like you're you're a damn hippie whatever but now it's like everyone's doing it like we have a dispensary down the road from our offices here and sometimes i'm driving by there and i'm like holy shit there's like a line around the block and there's everybody's apparently this is like one of the highest volume dispensaries like in the whole state wow there's another one opened up right over here too really yeah okay they're everywhere there's one over uh, on randall road or whatever that yeah is that the one you're talking about? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. They're everywhere. Yeah. There's, there, I mean, it's heading the way of like liquor stores where you're seeing, and we're, we're used to seeing liquor stores everywhere. They are all over the place, right? But this is a new thing. So it's like become more acceptable too. And I think sometimes teens go, well, that's okay. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And as dumb as they are most of the time, they don't realize like you can't eat the whole thousand milligram bar, you idiot. Like it's not going to make you the experience won't be better you'll be really high and likely cause like a psychotic episode right you know and it won't even be pleasant like why would you do that but teenage just same with binge drink i mean they're idiots like, yeah it's kind of you know by nature or there can be a dare or a sense of pride like yeah I can outsmoke anybody here that kind of thing which it doesn't it doesn't make sense i think most things in moderation are good you know i mean are okay, I should say. Are not as harmful, yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't think heroin in moderation is good. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> it's probably not. I mean, good. if you could control it, it'd probably be a lot better than addictive. But the problem is, it's too addictive. Yeah. You know. You know? Yeah. But like in like what you're saying, like if there's people who are like microdosing um, mushrooms and things mm-hmm. like that, 
there seems to be legitimate benefits for um, people out there. I have clients doing that, and and they are they are a lot happier. And there's I've seen huge progress in their time with you know therapy just just from they we added that in all of a sudden everything's working better you know so the challenge I have too is at least with cannabis is like it seems as though you're not actually addressing it you're kicking the can down the road which I would say most antidepressants do is they're not treating that's why we talked about the whole like mm -hmm. um, neurotransmitter deficiency theory and how yeah. that's not true. But like with cannabis, like you're one, it's oftentimes more expensive than medications. It's not regulated by doctors. You're medicating yourself and you don't really know what you're doing. You're just doing this thing. Do I feel better? Then yes, it's working. Yeah. But like what we've seen before with um, like conditioning, you know, is like just because you do something that feels good doesn't mean it's actually good for your mental health. In fact, one of the most effective methods for managing mental health, there's a reason why CBT and DBT, the B in all these different um, theories is behavioral. You got to get yourself to go do the uncomfortable things. Mm -hmm. If you're depressed, find a way to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. Go find a way to, to exercise. Go for a walk. Get a job, right? If you're anxious, go do the anxious things that you're afraid of. That's the exposure part. My fear is that with cannabis use is we're not actually addressing it. We're saying, when I feel this kind of thing, I use cannabis and that masks the symptoms allowing mm. me to get through my day and maybe there's some people that need that kind of thing but i'd say maybe it's an it's like a short-term alternative as opposed yeah. to like a forever kind of thing because then you risk you know developing cannabis use disorder and it's mm. really expensive to get all this stuff too yeah um it could get borderline federally illegal if you depending on how much you grow or how much you have mm. as well yeah. so to me it seems like i'm not for or against medications it's just a, a feature that we have that can help people but it probably seems a lot riskier and more expensive to like smoke weed as opposed to take a medication that's been studied for 40 years, mm -hmm. has thousands of articles on it, and doctors yeah. have personal experience with. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, I'm kind of in, on the other end of that. I, I think that people have been using holistic treatment methods for a very long time, stemming back to before like early societies and things. And I, I think that... Um, I think there's a lot of benefits to, to trying to do s things on your own, but I think humans by nature are gonna not be moderate about things. We're, you know, so it's like some people can. I think there's plenty of people who are able to do th certain things like drink, um, use cannabis or other substances, and they do it recreationally or they do it in a way that's non habit forming and it's just part of who, like, they can have a couple beers and then not have beers, you know? But some people can't. So it's like, I think you're more at risk for developing unhealthy habits at a time of your life when you are not stable, which is the teenage years. You were, they're idiots. I mean, let's be real. Like, they're, they think they know everything. The smartest person in the world is a 17-year-old, right? <laughs> so self-prescribed, self you know, they know everything. And, they, yeah. you know, they're about to be an adult. I'm doing the quotation things. And they know everything about everything, right? So that is a time where it's not a good time to introduce stuff like this, substances that require moderation and self-awareness and stuff. Um, but I do think people can do this kind of thing successfully without harming themselves, but I think the risk factors are incredibly high. So, um, yeah. well, I, okay, so, um, who am I thinking of? Like Joe Rogan, huge podcaster, right? We all know who he is, right? Didn't use 
marijuana until later in life. And he, he was very anti. He always thought like it was bad. And he, he talked off and on on his podcast many times about how like it's such a different experience, like doing it as an adult because he's come to understand it and the way he uses it is different than he probably would have used it had he been younger, you know, that kind of thing. So I think there's a validity to that. Like most things, like if you don't start drinking until you're in your 20s or 30s, probably not likely you're going to develop alcoholism, you know? So it's just, but if you start in your teenage years where you're doing it now, you so that's kind of, I guess. And the brain becomes habituated to it. Yes. Yeah. Right. But going back to your point about like a more natural approach, like how do we know which things are natural that are effective versus not effective? Well, they, well, I'll say this, that the pharmaceutical industry is not going to put research towards this kind of thing because it goes against their interests. So you'd need a big money, big research backing this kind of thing. So I don't know that we can truly know because most of the research is in, you know, pills and things and medicines like that i don't think there's that this is why this is new this type of you know like information is because the research is starting to happen i don't think it's but it's just like you know electric cars versus gas cars like the, the oil companies don't want electric cars like they're not gonna you know so it's like there's a battle there but it, the battle isn't our best interest as people it's you know corporations but people can take advantage of electric cars just like they can take advantage of weed right yeah. and so like they're just for every pharmaceutical company, there's a lesser powerful but equal um, effort <laughs> to try to make weed. Something that you could, no, you could, this one's going to make you chill out. This one's going to help you sleep. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think the way that we prove natural medicine from being effective is by testing it and through science and research. But it's like the research is coming out that even though people have been using these things for thousands of years, doesn't mean it's actually working in the way for most people that they think it is like you know and there's lots of things like mindfulness meditation mm -hmm. been around for thousands and thousands of years it seems to be really effective we just over the last 50 years yeah in our western world have discovered how useful it is but like you know i'm making this up but like taking bull testicles and eating them like is that supposed to add virility to your life and make your life longer or Drinking the blood of your enemy, does that mean you get their thoughts? That definitely would. Okay. <laughs> you know from experience, right? <laughs> yeah. But like, there's lots of stuff that we could say, well, that's been done for centuries in cultures. doesn't mean it actually seems to be true. The question we have to say is, like, well, how do you know anything is true? And you have to say, well, you have to find a way to test it. Yeah, but also the, the testing provides generalities, and, and it, 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 I think it, it lends itself to, like, the averages. Like, the average person is going to be benefiting from x but that doesn't mean every person mm -hmm. so i think i like the freedom that we can have nowadays with doing our own research because of the internet and everything else that's out there and if you are a student of like personal growth you can easily go out and find many many research articles on whatever it is that you're working on including this kind of thing and figure out like okay and develop some sort of dosing system for yourself whether it's microdosing, you know psilocybin or using marijuana whatever like you can do that and yeah it's not studied necessarily like it's there's no like doctor doing it for you but you could do it yourself and so i don't know i, I yeah I, I guess there's lots of info out there and i like the freedom people can have to just do whatever yeah you know? I, I i'm all i'm not against cannabis personally being legalized i'm against people using it to treat their problems mm. because like it's like the guy who's like my uncle was 95 years old and he smoked a pack of cigarettes and ate steak and eggs every morning. And mm -hmm. it's like, 
that doesn't mean that that's the kind of advice we should be giving to people in general. Of course, they used to. <laughs> yeah, they used of to course. prescribe cigarettes to people. And Freud prescribed cocaine, right? But like, Perfect. like I wish he was my therapist. <laughs> I could use some cocaine right now. <laughs> yeah, he must have been pretty rich if he was able to get that much cocaine too. But wasn't he like a drug user, as opiates or something, or I don't a, know. I don't, opium or something? He was like into all kinds of stuff. The the point I'm making though is like we have to make generalities about people, and then yeah. that's why we have personal physicians. Is that they study you, they give you recommendation. You know, my uh, my doctor recommends that I take an iron supplement just because I tend to have low iron. Right? Doesn't mean everybody needs one, but it seems as though like. The science has to make general statements too. But then like it seems as though when people are tested with anxiety, they can they continue using cannabis, then they're tested again, their anxiety gets worse for most people. Right? And maybe sure there are people who microdose and they feel better. It just doesn't seem like something I'd recommend personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh Yeah. I'm not sure what else I want to say about this. <laughs> Go on. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, I think there is a there is a sense of if you know something really well, like let's say if you're a professional musician, right? And if you use a substance such as cannabis, right, moderately, there is a sense that it helps you connect with a part of yourself because you are already extremely skilled that it helps you get out of your own way in a sense and helps you do certain things maybe better right mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you're unskilled and you get high and trying to learn something that doesn't really work because that's not the point of it so i think this substance such as cannabis i think it forces you to kind of look at things where something like alcohol a- allows you to like avoid or numb I think cannabis doesn't do that, which is why like anxiety can go up, I think, because it forces you, like you drink and you don't think about your problems. When you get high, you might like fixate on the problem. So there's a difference. So like there's a way of like people use it sometimes to explore themselves, you know, get altered mu- or hallucinate or like whatever, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to go and take a bunch of mushrooms and I'm going to like work on stuff. I'm going to think about my life. And that's a common thing, go off in the woods or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like I think there's a time and a place for it, you know, like if you want to go exploring through the woods and then like drop some acid, like eat some bull testicles, and yeah. drop some acid, <laughs> drink some blood of your enemies. <laughs> it's like, Whoa. that's not, I wouldn't recommend that. That that can maybe get a little dangerous, but like, that's fine. It's another thing if you're like, I'm going to start dropping acid regularly because that makes me feel better. Right. And that's where I have yeah. to say like, that starts to get kind of risky because you're not using it in a way that is like recreational or like I do it like I have when you go out, if we went out to have dinner you and I we might both order a drink and do we do it because we're trying to medicate ourselves we do it because it's a fun way to yeah, enjoy our time nice together. to have a, have a cocktail or beer and whatever yeah nothing yeah and sure yeah. that's why it's legalized but then you got people who drink in order to cope and you have people who smoke in order to cope right like I think whenever you do something in order to cope like I don't know, part of our job is helping to have people break maladaptive coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. right? They get too angry. They drink too much, right? They, yeah. Whatever it might be. They do something that doesn't help them. And so we have to say, hey, that's not working for you. Let's mm-hmm. try other things instead. Yeah. And then, then that, that's a whole other thing about people get rigid and they say, well, it has to be that way or I don't want to give them a chance or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. Like, I think 
if you're out there and you're a teenager listening to this or if you have a teen that you're parenting just be aware like i i don't think things i think most things are fairly harmless what until we use them and abuse them you know so there's you could overdo caffeine you could have like psychosis from drinking too much coffee you know you that's that's my goal <laughs> i mean some days i'm i've done drank so much caffeine i'm like i think i'm i think i need to stop drinking caffeine because you know it's happened right but we don't ever think about that because we have caffeine everywhere nowadays it's a common right you know drug well in the the risk of uh, hurting yourself is like almost zero compared right. to it but like i remember when i was in hawaii and i went to a coffee farm and they had free coffee and it was really really good and it was really expensive it was part of this like thing we did i drank so much coffee i thought i could see through time <laughs> i was like, <laughs> like i felt like my body was stopped my mind was like zooming around the earth and so like absolutely was that was so stupid of me to do that and now it's like a joke for with my wife and i uh, i'll say like, i feel like i can see through time because i've had too much caffeine um, so I'm in the absolutely in the same space as you, and like it was stupid of me to do that, right? I wouldn't recommend it again. But also the risk of like any kind of caffeine intoxication is it's low, pretty low. Yeah, you know, I mean you have to drink a lot, and and teens certainly can be at risk because of these damn like monster drinks or whatever. They're they're drinking three or four a day, you know, thousand milligrams of caffeine a day or whatever. Gosh. There's a you know there's caffeine disorders that can be developed or. You can have panic attacks as you're coming off of the, you know, caffeine high or high anxiety spikes, all kinds of things. It's sweating, all kinds of, you know, because it's a psychoactive drug, you know, so mm -hmm. we don't think about that. So, yeah. but I think this is interesting because this is a evolving area and especially in mental health, we have things like marijuana and hallucinogens of other types and anesthetics that have been like ketamine, stuff like that. People are starting to use these things to try to, find ways to heal themselves the human condition mm -hmm. you know so i think it's going to be interesting the next 20 years how this shapes out you know but that's an interesting question too is like it's really a way of coping with the human condition maybe it's something we can talk about another life time it's fucking hard man like it's, life's it's, hard it's not easy yeah so sometimes you need shit to cope you know and i hear it um so yeah um just so if i may some quick stats before we move on that Please. i found uh, daily marijuana use is um, on the rise in adults age 19 to 30, and it seems like now one in 10 people report using marijuana. Mm. I think it's actually daily. Is that? I think it's just. It, I think it's daily marijuana use. One in 10, maybe. What? Teens who use recreational cannabis are four times more likely to develop a mental health disorder, a general one, including anxiety or depression. And adolescents might be linked to who use might be linked to lower attention, lower memory, worser learning, and some things I've seen even suggest probably lower IQ. Mm. So as we found, if you're going to use like what Joe Rogan does, what uh, maybe if you're going to use, probably wait until you're in your later 20s. Yeah. But definitely, I mean, uh, nothing I say is going to convince a teenager, but uh, probably not a good idea if you're considerate of your future. You're really rolling the dice if you do. It seems. Yeah, I mean, it, it has the potential to stunt your brain, br brain's growth or change the trajectory of, like, how your brain is getting wired in those ages. So, like, I have a teenage son, and I tell him, like, dude, just, just don't. There's no, you know, I'm not ignorant to the fact that I know you're going to do certain things in your life, but just talk to me about it, and let's have, a, like, a real discussion. And that part of it is that. Like, I think parents, you have to be open to the idea of talking to your kids 
um, about things, you yeah. know, and being okay with them telling you like, oh, I got high last night and talking about it. And because ultimately they're just going to hide it from you if you try to like, you know, I'd rather they tell me, you know, and be honest and then we can work on it and build awareness versus like have them take it underground. And I've had a couple of client, teen clients I've worked with who've had something similar to what this article talks about. And they have lingering effects of like altered reality even after they stopped the drug use right. maybe a year ago. There's still moments sometimes if they're stressed enough or whatever where they're not clear, like they're having like weird dissociative type feelings where they're not sure what's real and what's not real. And that's freak. There scares them. Yeah. Because yeah, scare me. Yeah. And it stemmed from like marijuana use or other types of drugs like that. So beware, I guess. It's scary. It is. Shall we move on to our listener, listener question? Yeah, please. So this one is from Katie in Seattle, Washington. Ooh, hi, Katie. Katie says, my therapist sits there and is waiting for me to talk or respond to their question, but I don't know what to say. I respond, I'm not thinking of anything and I don't know what to say, but that seems to upset her. I like her and don't want to change therapists again, but I get really anxious when this happens. What do you guys suggest? <laughs> well, do you have your therapist number? Let me talk to your therapist because it sounds like something weird's happening with your therapist. I don't, oh, yeah? I don't want to judge that therapist because I'm not in the room, but I mean, I don't think it's Katie's responsibility to, to, to manage this situation necessarily. Hmm. I think the therapist can use it as a tool to help. I imagine, Katie, that you feel this way in other areas of your life, in other relationships, that you don't know what to say. Um, and you're not really thinking of anything. Um, how, like, how would you? I have a bunch of thoughts, but I'm curious. Like, how would you handle something like this if one of your clients was like, "I don't know what to say. I can't think of anything to talk about." Well, it happens all the time. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure it happens with you too. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry. Your question was like, "How would I handle how, what it?" What would you do? Yeah. Well, I think it depends on the motivation for why someone is saying, "I don't know" or "I don't know what to say." Um, I found a lot of times people say, I don't know, just as like they're shooting from the hip and they just don't think about to take the time to actually answer. Like, mm -hmm. so when you feel really anxious, where do you notice that in your body? I don't know. Why don't we slow that down and try again? Or then I'll nudge them. I've even had, especially with teenagers, they'll say, I don't know too often, or they'll just, mm -hmm. um, or I'll sit there and they get uncomfortable. And I'll say, can we make a deal that when we say, I don't know, that we're kind of limiting our conversation? Yeah. Now, some people legitimately don't know and in that case i might be bullying them mm -hmm. so i think it depends on why they're saying i don't know if they're anxious and i think we have to talk about it if they're just using it as a cop-out instead of like having to actually really sit there take a couple breaths and think about it or just talk their way through it then i might nudge them to say like hey let's mm -hmm. try to avoid the phrase i don't know mm -hmm. what do you do uh i mean it, it really depends like if I had a penny for every time someone came in and said they don't know why they came this week and they don't really have anything to talk about and then they proceed to not stop talking for 55 <laughs> minutes, that I'd be rich. So, because yeah. that happens a lot. But, like, I'm not thinking of anything and I don't know what to say. I'd want to dissect a bunch of things in that. I'd like to, I'd like to understand if that's just a default way of, of Katie managing her environment and she's maybe not engaging because it's too anxiety provoking. She's worried about something happening or sometimes that can be 
well, I'm not going to bring up things because I'm afraid the therapist is going to discover things about me that I don't want that person to know. It could also be, like, if I started getting annoyed with Katie, for example, if we had a good enough relationship, I certainly wouldn't do it in the beginning. But I'd be like, I'd say something like, you know, I got to be honest with you, Katie, like, it's a, it's frustrating for me on this end because I'm trying to engage with you and it seems like it's difficult for us to do that. And I like wonder if, if that happens to you elsewhere in your life. And then now we have something to talk about. Mm -hmm. Or I might tend to like tell her about my emotions, about what's happening, you know? And for example, like if we've known each other a long time and she's like, I don't know, I don't have anything to say. I don't know what to say. I might say nothing. I might just sit quietly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times for me anyways, if I do that long enough, not with teens, did she say how old she is? She didn't. I'm guessing she's a little older okay. than a teenager. It doesn't sound like a teenager because yeah. it, it can backfire with teenagers because I don't, they get really squirmy and it's bad. But with adults, if you're quiet long enough, they start talking because it's awkward, right? Mm -hmm. And then they, and then we can get it going again. But I'm a little concerned for you, Katie, with your therapist and the anger and annoyance that, that, that happens with, because that seems like not fair to you, you know? Hmm. That's like, that would be like, He's a basketball. You're wearing a Bulls hat. Like, if I went to go to a cl basketball clinic with Michael Jordan and he got mad at me because I didn't know how to dunk, mm. you know, it's like that's not fair. Like, I'm coming there to learn and I'm coming there to understand the game of basketball from someone who's an expert, right? Mm -hmm. Why is he getting mad because I can't dunk like he can? You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. So, like, what's going on? You know? Yeah, I have a, uh, I think a different perspective. I agree. If if your therapist is actually getting upset, that's not cool. Um, I want to take a step back and think about like why might a therapist do this kind of thing? Like why would somebody, because I think that's something we all do is we sit there quietly. I think the general, well, there's many different schools of thought, but the general idea is that if a therapist gets good at listening, then the client is more likely to talk. And then if they're more likely to talk, they're more likely to open up or solve their own problems on their own, which is just better. The research shows that yeah. people when they, solve their problems on their own or they say I, I, we we all know cases where somebody just says something and they're like wow i never realized that and all the time yeah happens all the time right and it's oftentimes we're just sitting there nodding our head reflecting using active and we're masters at when people ask us well i want you to tell me my your opinion what do you think i should do a, mm -hmm. a great therapist will never answer that question yeah you know? and then you'll end up answering your own question you right know? right so i think some perspectives could be that when as we as i said Silence makes other people talk more. So when we get good at just being quiet and looking at someone mm -hmm. and then they don't know what to say, it gets them to start talking, yeah. which is good, in gen generally speaking. Mm -hmm. I think you could also give the message that this is your space to go wherever you want and I'm not going to like tell you where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. It's uh, implicitly just by sitting there quietly. I think it could give that. Or at least that's like the attitude we want to try to give to someone. I think it can force the client to take accountability for the session yeah. and at the direction of the session. Not always saying that that's a good thing. Sometimes it's good for therapists to guide it. But I think many branches of psychology want clients to take accountability. Yes. It can set up a pattern of the therapist accepting whatever the client wants to share. So let's say like if somebody, if a therapist was sitting with Katie and that person was like really uncomfortable and they started shaking or even sweating, That'd be a really good opportunity for the therapist to show, like, you know what, I'm okay if you get really nervous or mm -hmm. you start shaking or sweating. I'm even okay if you get mad at me mm -hmm. um, because I'm going to let you do whatever it is you need to do. I think, lastly, it might show the client that the therapist doesn't have all the answers and is not going to necessarily guide things. 
that this is your problem to figure out. I'm just here to help you figure yeah. it out. Um, so I assume that this person is has the right intention. Now, if they're actually getting upset at you, um, that's not cool. And I would encourage talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so it can still be uncomfortable. Um, so anyway, I have more thoughts. But what, what do you think so far? I'm curious why Katie cares so much about her therapist's emotions about her her time in the room. Wasn't it fair that we all care what other people think when we sit with them? We do, but I would want to know the motivation behind that. So I don't know if the therapist is representative of something, like some sort of a figure in her life, parental maybe, or some other figure, or if this is an indicator of like her anxiousness in social situations when she's not, um, when other people aren't leading. Like maybe she's uncomfortable and doesn't know what to do when she's like the center and things. So there's just so much to chew on that like in this whole, this couple of sentences that she sent us that, I mean, you could probably do therapy for six months just in these two sentences, yep. you know, and there's a lot to chew on. And I don't know, you know, if when you say upset, because one thing sometimes with clients, and this is why she, she's not here to answer these questions, like her experience of what's happening could be extremely skewed, you know, and, and it, I've had clients come in and say like, well, like sometimes I see couples and, and one of them will say like, well, my individual therapist doesn't want to talk about this because every time I bring this up, like it seems like they don't want to talk about this subject. Say it's some kind of a trauma or something like they don't. They don't. And I'm like, are you sure? I, is that so when was and then we dissect like when was the last time you brought it up in therapy? And OK. And then like and we come to find out this person goes to their therapist and it wasn't the therapist, it was actually them that was uncomfortable, but they're like projecting this feeling on it. So it's like, I don't know. So I don't know if upset is actually what's happening. Maybe Katie feels bad and she thinks she's upsetting her therapist. Mm. She's reading it that way because in the past when she doesn't know what to say or what to do, people would get upset. You know, I don't know. So Yeah, or maybe the person is upset, I don't know, but... I think either way, a quality therapist would allow for valuable here and now kind of gestalt work. And what I mean by that is like, I think one of the most special things we can give to clients is the ability to talk about our current experience and relationship. So that means like, I think it's kind of hard to go up to a family member or a friend and say this, but I fully expect it with my clients that I'm going to talk about when you sit here and I'm just looking at you, what is that like for you? Or what do you what do you think about me just sitting here quietly, mm-hmm. or things like that? And so, what I would encourage Katie, go up to your therapist and say, like, I really don't know what to say, and I feel lost as hell. It's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like that. Can we negotiate something different? And if your therapist gets like defensive or is like, nope, this is your thing to figure out, and blah blah blah, they should uh, hopefully like listen to you and have empathy and mm-hmm. to be gosh, yeah, I can see how that's difficult, but I really want you to, whatever it was, I really want to make it so a space for you to talk. It doesn't feel like it's for me to decide this. Yeah. And then you can at least have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you might say, hmm, actually they are pretty upset with me. If that's the case, maybe they're not the best fit for you. Yeah. Or otherwise they may say, no, I wasn't mad at you, but I just wanted, I just thought that this was a time where you could be here with your thoughts and I just want to listen to you. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound like a very upset person. Instead, that's somebody who's just giving you space. And you won't know that until you talk to them about it. And a quality therapist will allow you to talk about it in right. this kind of way. So I, I think that takes a lot of bravery. It's very difficult to talk about. Well, in Gestalt therapy, they'd say the here and now. 
It's like, I'm going to talk about what it's like to sit on this couch looking at you mm-hmm. and when you look at me like that. And if they get defensive, like, you know, measure that, you know, mm-hmm. explore it with as you guys talk about it there. Because there's a living relationship that the two of you are making mm-hmm. together that needs mm-hmm. to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might go into your therapist and read that this this question to them word for word and if you haven't already done so in some way expressed and and that'll give you guys some stuff to chew on you know it's like it it's funny because it's like sometimes you wonder like how much work should the client do versus the therapist do in the relationship i'm a big fan of it being equal you know so it's like i don't know how long she's been seeing this therapist or whatever but it sounds like maybe a little while so um it sounds like she's seen others too right and that that was that was the kind of one thing where i was like hmm question mm. mark i i put a question mark over that a couple of words i'm like okay so there's been others and i wonder why those others became others you know mm. and is this a pattern for katie and are you getting re- are you asking for permission to find a new therapist because you've hit some because sometimes this happens, I've noticed, with clients, when you get close enough to them, they stop participating because now it's like there's nothing else, to, no other bullshit to talk about. We only have the real thing. And this is the thing that they don't want to ever show to anyone. So it's like now I'm going to find a reason to leave therapy and find a different therapist and start over again and get to that point again. But you're never actually like solving that actual problem. you know. So I don't know. I hope this is helpful. Katie. Yeah, I mean, I think Katie's intuition is good. Yeah. I think just the fact that she wrote it down and sent it to us hopefully is like enough for her to reflect and be like, wow, I really feel strongly about this. Mm-hmm. And like, what other, what better person to share your strong feelings with than your therapist? Exactly. You know, even if it's about them, like I said, a quality therapist will be able to not only do they process emotions mm-hmm. uh, for other people, but they should help you process emotions about the person you're sitting with too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, in the more extreme versions, we we hear stories of se- people saying they're sexually attracted to their therapist or they Happens all the time or they're very angry at them, whatever it might be. And ideally, you guys should be able to talk about it. Too. Right. So I'd say give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, you know, then maybe you learn something about that person or give it a shot and then wait a little bit. See how that changes things. Because what do you have to lose? Like, really, Katie? Right. You know, if it doesn't work out, you, this is not a relationship you have to ever tend to if you don't want to. There's a lot of emotional stock in it. It can hurt to leave. Of course it can hurt to leave. But the risk factor, I think, might is lower than like other, like if this was your mom, different, different scenario. Right. You know, so you have an opportunity to take risks here with, with hopefully minimal harm because the therapist, if they're skilled, can handle whatever strong confrontation Katie's going to have or reaction. And you just keep using it as a way to help heal whatever's going on with her. Right. So fascinating cool um what if we move on to our last part our guilty leisure go ahead now okay i I know you had your diablo thing which i think is a quality guilty leisure so this is the part of the show by the way where we just either share what we've been doing that's not always flattering or just what we've been thinking about or interested in Mm -hmm. and i just read one i just read a book one of my favorite books ever now called flowers for algernon have you heard oh, of Oh, I've book? heard of it. Yes, yeah. It's a am- it was amazing. Was I mean, I hope I'm not selling it too much, but very quickly it's about uh, a man who has this is in the 50s, 60s, who has an intellectual disability and has a quite uh, a lower IQ. Mm-hmm. Goes through an operation to get a, his IQ raised 
and the, it's uh, written as a sh series of diary entries, journal entries that he's required to do for the experiment. And it starts off like written very poorly as if he did have very poor understanding of English. And then it moves on to him essentially being a super genius. And it just, the writing is so good that he is able, the, the writer, the author is able to accurate, in my opinion, accurately represent each part. For what it's worth, this book has been banned in some places too. So Why? Probably because they use like the R word a lot and there's a lot of teasing of people. The R word? Um, yeah, for intellectual disability. <laughs> You're not even willing to say it. I don't like that word. Okay. Got it. Um, and there's a lot of teasing, but that's part point of the book is to say like, what's it like when you're somebody who has an intellectual disability mm -hmm. and you are, you know, constantly berated by other people. And so it's just, I don't know. I really loved it. Sounds fun. Yeah. So that's what I've been thinking about a lot. And then I was reading about the author and how he came to that. So it's just, that's huh. what's been on my mind. Isn't there a movie about that coming out or something? I thought I heard something about it. I've, I've I think there's, there's two. One is called Charlie, which is the name of the protagonist. And the other one I think was called Flowers for Algernon. Charlie, I think, came out in the 60s, okay. 70s. And then Charlie, I think, came out in the last 20. I'm sorry, Flowers for Algernon came out in the last 20 or so years. So okay. strongly recommend. It wasn't hard to read either. So for any listeners out there who are interested in like... Nice. Um, the balance between intellectual growth versus emotional growth that's mm -hmm. a big subject too so yeah that's awesome what about you well like i said i mean the guilty ledger has been uh playing diablo off and on but i've been golfing quite a lot actually i've been getting into that the whole family's doing it now so that's been fun i suck at golf me too but it's still fun as well it's fun to do i feel like it's most fun when you don't suck the most I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely fun if you can hit the ball a little and at least be okay at it. It's not fun to really suck. I mean, how bad are you when you say suck? Like, I, I don't know. I've, I've actually only gone like once. Oh. It was 10 years well, ago. Well, then how you can't expect to be good at it. If you've no. Done it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure if I practiced a lot, I'd be better. But, you know, I'm sure if I went out there with a bunch of people who were better than me, I'd just be weighing everybody down. I'm like, oh, John's got to hit it 10 more times, you know. Yeah. Which is fine, but it would also feel like I wouldn't want to be, if everyone's skill level is at like this part of the graph and I'm at the other opposite yeah. end, you know, that's not as fun. No, but, that makes sense. But if everybody there is kind of equal, then that's always fun too. Mm -hmm. um, anything else you'd like to add in here? For today? No, this has been good. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground, so. Cool. How about you? No, I think it's everything. Well, thank you all for listening. Remember to send us questions or comments at questions at drinksandshrinks.com. And that has been another episode of Drinks and Shrinks. My name is Ingo Weigold. I'm John Deku. Later, peeps.